0: Bible, I want a certain view of marriage. And then finally, some application points. But could we just pray together briefly? Father, we, uh, all of us here know that without your enablement, without your anointing, um, very, very little gets done. And so we we ask you uh, that you would anoint, Me that you would anoint this message for the good of your people. We just love you, Lord, and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. So today is uh, largely an informational message um, rather than preaching. Um, But one thing I want to start out by saying what happened here? Both singlehood and marriage are held in honor in the scriptures, aren't they? Um, Paul said, I wish that all men were as I am, meaning single, and that I might secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? I know that uh, those of you who are married in this body would join me in saying we honor our singles today, uh, their undistracted devotion to the Lord Even as we lift up the scripture, let marriage uh, be held in honor among all. But from a cultural perspective, you know that marriage is under attack. Have you heard these things, that half of all marriages end in divorce? Most marriages are not happy marriages, they're just so-so. The divorce rate in the church is just as high as the divorce rate at large in the world. Most remarriages are doomed from the start. The divorce rate for second marriages is just so high. How many of you have heard these things? We're steeped in them, right? We, we all know them, or, or all have heard them. But we're going to learn today that these statements are uh, for the most part inaccurate, and that there's some very positive um, research about marriage and divorce Uh, far more positive and exciting than we've heard before. There's a whole other set of data or a whole other way of looking at the data uh, that we can really get excited about and encourage those around us. Shanti Feldhahn is a Harvard-trained social researcher who, with Tally Whitehead, discovered in an eight-year study that these claims are simply not true. She writes in The Good News About Marriage, these are her words, for years, with all good intentions, we've been thinking and talking about marriage as being in trouble. We comment on the unhealthy state of our unions and the skyrocketing rate of divorce. I cannot count the number of times I myself have referenced the 50% divorce rate from the stage in my divorce conferences. Many books, TV shows, radio programs, speeches, and sermons also discuss how often happiness fades in marriage. Married couples talk about beating the odds. While living couples ponder, why should we bother getting married? And in the process, she says, we are absorbing a vastly inflated sense of futility. Although there are indeed plenty of legitimate concerns about marriage, there are others that are closer to myth than reality. Most marriages are still far stronger happier and longer-lasting than most of us realize. It's so important for us to get the truth out there because, as mentioned earlier, beliefs otherwise can become self-fulfilling prophecies. So what did she find in this book she calls the good news about marriage? Here are five key things that she found. Number one, the actual divorce rate has never been close to 50%. It's significantly lower and has been declining over the last 30 years. Most marriages aren't just so so. The vast majority are happy. Number three, the rate of divorce in the church is not the same as among non church going population. It too is significantly lower. Remarriages aren't doomed from the start, a significant majority survive and thrive. And then number five, most marriage problems aren't caused by big ticket issues. So being in a marriage or fixing a troubled one doesn't have to be as complicated as people think. Little things can make a big difference. Next week, uh, I'm going to preach again. And uh, she has written another book that I'd like to share some of the points with you from, called The uh, Surprising Secrets of Highly Happy Marriages. Doesn't that sound inviting? The surprising secrets of highly happy marriages. Let me focus in here for a minute on number one and number two. There are some subsets of our population that have uh, seen a 50% divorce rate. Um, But when you talk about societies as a whole, it hasn't come close to that projected figure. And then number two, most marriages aren't just so-so. The vast majority are are happy. What what she did was she did her own study of 1,304 individuals, or 652 couples. She used a research firm called Decision Analyst. Uh, This study has a confidence level of 95% plus or minus 5%. Uh, Spouses were interviewed separately in every case. And this was the question that they were asked and the answers from which they could choose. Here's the question. Are you personally, generally happy in your marriage these days and enjoying being married? And then there were five answers you could give. Yes with an exclamation point is number one. Number two is yes most of the time. Number three is it depends. Sometimes yes, sometimes no number four is not really and number five is no I am really unhappy so what she found was that 71 percent answered number one or number two where both number one in number one both individuals of the couple said yes with an exclamation point or yes most of the time Uh, so 71% of our population are saying, I am happily, generally, happily married. Um, So that's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. We'll see later that across seven major happiness studies, 80% actually is the conservative average for all the studies taken together. Okay, let's look a little deeper, even still. Fact number one, the prevalence of divorce has never been close to 50%. She makes a point that the 40 to 50% projection rate that we always hear, uh, excuse me, divorce rate, is a projection, not a measurement. It's based on assumptions about what will happen in the future. Now this one I really want you to see, currently, 72% of those who have ever been married are still married to their first spouse. That's Census Bureau data. In other words, more than seven out of 10 people are married to their first spouse in our country. Because up to 8% of first marriages end due to the death, not divorce, of a spouse, the average first marriage divorce rate could be as close uh, could be close to 20%. She says 20 to 25% is a safe bet instead of the 40 to 50%. Isn't that amazing? It's almost. I mean, the first time I heard this, I thought that is I can't believe that. Um, And yet she is saying it and um, has the research to back it up. In the pre-1970s, you'll see there, again, all Census Bureau data, that 85% of ever-married persons were in first marriages. Then in the 1970s, no-fault divorce hit. Do you remember that? No-fault divorce came, and divorce spiked. But then in the mid-'80s and 90s, it settled back down again at 70% and now is climbing again. Now it's at 72%. And so more than 7 out of 10 people are married to their first spouse. So the question comes to mind, where does this 50% number come from? Those of you who don't like statistics or research, I just want to give you permission right now to take a little nap. Um, I know that's not generally done. But um, I just want to read a couple paragraphs, a page, really, of this book. For those of you who are interested, where does this 50% number come from? Let me show you where it comes from. She says, she mentions a man named Paul Amato at Pennsylvania State University. And then she goes on to say, I'm grateful that some of the experts themselves have been very open with us about this being an inexact science. During our research, Tally and I had an eye-opening conference call with Dr. Paul Amato at Pennsylvania State University, long considered one of the main authorities in this incredibly complex world of divorce demographics. In fact, several other researchers and experts I had interviewed had said things like, well, I could see the projected divorce rate being 40% or lower, but Paul's number is 45, and if Paul says that's what it is, that is good enough for me. So a lot of the research world is basing their uh, number on this man's number. Let's see where his number comes from. In conversation with Dr. Amato, he was forthcoming about the fact that his basis for saying forty-five percent was a highly sophisticated analysis done by a now retired Penn State professor named Robert Schoen. An analyst, it turns out, an analysis, it turns out, that wasn't just of divorce. Dr. Amato explained that Schoen's analysis was the best he'd seen. Talley and I had admired his work as well, but it was now dated, last data from 2000. Also, it wasn't projecting divorce for new first marriages, but for all marriages, including the second and third marriages that have a somewhat higher rate of divorce. Even more important, the similar, and similar to the census data, Schoen's study also did not have a way of compensating for mortality, he could only, only analyze marriage's ending without knowing whether a marriage had ended because a couple divorced or one partner died. As Dr. Amato told us, so today, this is, this is the big man himself, so today we don't really know exactly what the projected rate is for first marriages. It's going to be lower than the 45% divorce rate. How much lower is not clear. It might be 40%. It could maybe be 35%. I don't know. So if people are thinking the first time they marry, I've got a 50-50 chance of staying married for the rest of my life, that's too pessimistic. So the man that everybody's relying on is saying he doesn't know. And he didn't factor in mortality rate into a marriage ending Nor did he separate first marriages from all marriages. Isn't that interesting? The ever divorced number, again, this is a snapshot in time, not a projection, but including all marriages, second marriages, third marriages, and so on. Ranges from 23 to 37 percent, with the best study, the Census Bureau 2009 Survey of Income and Program Participation, mm-hmm. revealing a rate of 30.8 percent. So, as you think about marriage and you're out there on the street and you want to challenge this 50 percent number with someone, you can safely say, based on this research, that the rate of divorce among first marriages is 20 to 25%, and that the best data is that all marriages, it's about 30% or 31%. Isn't that encouraging and different than what we've been led to believe? I remember my son Nathaniel telling me why he didn't want to get married. And he said, Dad, I was on a plane, and I was just sitting there thinking half of these people are going to get divorced. I don't want want that flip of a coin. And he's still not married today. So this stuff influences people. And we need to know this alternative set of data. All right, fact number two, certain patterns and actions can dramatically change Um, the chance of staying married. So look at these four points. Statistically, someone who marries in their middle 20s or later uh, enters a lower risk category. Someone who gets a college education statistically, moves into a lower-risk category. Part of that is because most people don't marry during college, and so you, you get married later. But part of it is a statistical correlation between college education and uh, sticking to a marriage. Stay married five years or more. Now, that's an interesting one, isn't it? The reason for that is that Contrary to what you've heard, that the year seven is the age, the seven-year itch, most marriages, if they're going to end, end in those first five years. Um, Anecdotally, I'll say that many, many young couples, and Laura and I experienced this in those early years, you just feel hopeless that you'll be able to please the person you've married. Were we the only ones who felt that way? Uh, you know, we just, uh, but one thing I loved about Laura, one reason I married her was because of one particular date we had where we went roller skating. And uh, Laura had never been roller skating, and she must have fallen a gazillion hundred times. She fell and fell and fell and fell, and, but you know what? She kept getting up. And I thought, man, this is a woman to ride the river with. (laughs) She keeps getting up. She doesn't quit. And she didn't quit on me in those first five years of marriage and the first 10 even, I would say. We were really fighting that battle to believe that we could ever make the other happy or please the other. So if you're in that boat, Take heart. If you can gut out those, those years, the older the violin, the sweeter the music. <laughs> and then this was a surprising one. Go to church regularly together, at least weekly. In this cluster of lower-risk categories, risk of divorce is only 5 to 10%. Isn't that amazing? Now, I met with Hallett to go over this because I, I, you know, I know when I get out of my normal discipline that I can make mistakes. And um, one thing he warned me is that to know the difference between causation and correlation. Numbers like these don't explain cause, they just explain correlation. And so church attendance is correlated not necessarily the cause for um, this this five to ten percent. You know that makes perfect sense to me, because it isn't the church attendance that um, is the cause of, I think, greatly reducing uh, uh, conflict and thoughts of divorce. I think it's the Lord. You know, you come to church, how many of you have come to church spitting nails at your spouse? And as you've sat there, grumpy and mad, the Lord has softened your heart. And you realize, what a jerk I've been. I was telling one young friend, Matt Kirkendall, this yesterday. He came to pick up some wood, and uh, I was telling him about this, and he laughed, and he said, oh, yeah, He said, I've had that experience and then had to go to the evening service because we fought in the afternoon. (laughs) So it's like Psalm 73 where David comes into the sanctuary of God. He's, He's lamenting about the wicked and he comes into the sanctuary of God, doesn't he? He says, I was envious of the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked there are no pains in their death, their body's fat, they're not in trouble with other men, they're not plagued like mankind, pride is their necklace, the garment of violence covers them, their eye bulges with fatness, the imaginations of their heart run riot, they mock, and so on. Then in verse 15, he said, "'Behold, if I'd said this, I would have betrayed the generation of thy children.'" When I pondered to understand it, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. If we apply that to marriage, not that our spouse is wicked, uh, but, you know, how often that happens, those of you who are married, uh, how often it happens that you come to church mad at your spouse, but in the presence of the Lord... Uh, We get our head on straight, so to speak, and our heart in its right place. Fact three, the vast majority of couples are happy in their marriage, not just so-so. I mentioned that across seven major happiness studies, a conservative median of 80% of individuals stated they were either happy or very happy in their marriages. Most people are glad they married their spouse and would do it all over again. Now I wondered, how many, is this just Christian foo-foo? You know, is this just uh, Pollyannish thinking? And so I looked at those uh, seven studies to see how many of them were sponsored by a Christian organization. And uh, really there was only one that could be uh, said to be a christian have a christian perspective where the church people were oversampled all others were conducted by universities states or polling companies such as Roper Marist or CBS polls this may be for someone who's here most of those who are not happy will be if they stay committed for five years. At least two studies bear this out. The National Study of Families and Households and the Oklahoma Marriage Initiative. Yay, Oklahoma. These first two quotes are from the first uh, citation and the last one is from the Oklahoma Marriage Initiative. Two out of three unhappily married adults who avoided divorce or separation ended up happily married five years later. That's encouraging. Among those who rated their marriage as very unhappy, almost 8 out of 10 who avoided divorce were happily married five years later. And then from the Oklahoma Marriage Initiative, the vast majority said they were glad they had stuck it out and were still together. 79% said that of those married seven years or less. 95% of those married seven years or more. So when we run into a marriage, uh, friend, a neighbor, that's in trouble, it might be helpful to share some of this information with them to encourage them if they're in a rough patch. Fact five, the last one, the rate of divorce among those who regularly attend church is much lower than among those who don't. How did this, how did this happen? Uh, Most of you know the name George Barna. He's a researcher who studies religious people, evangelicals, the church, and does these kinds of studies. In 2001, he found a divorce rate in the church of 33 to 34%. This was close enough to the same as non-churchgoers that this was pounced on by the press and intertwined with the half-of-all-marriages idea. Feldhan writes, this particular Barna study was designed to dig out divorce trends based on faith-based beliefs and was not designed to look at faith-based practices such as church going. So the Barna study asked people sort of what they think, what they believe. Uh, He didn't ask them, have you been in church in the last week? So in 2008, Feldhan and Barna collaborated to correct this misunderstanding. The divorce rate among Christians who had attended church in the last seven days dropped 27% compared to those who hadn't. One, uh, one man named Brad Wilcox, Dr. Brad Wilcox from the University of Virginia, who works on something called the Marriage Project every year, he found that with those who attend church every week, he found a, ra- a, dra- a rate drop of 50%. Uh, so Feldhand believes that it's somewhere in the middle there. So 35% might be close. All right, so that's the research. I don't know what, you th- what you're thinking right now, if that's encouraging to you, or I don't believe that, Um, But, regardless, I am going to switch now to the scriptures and talk about the wonder of marriage. And this first slide, I just want you to see that the wonder of marriage is throughout the Bible. It's not just a little bit here and there. It's in the first two chapters of Genesis. It's in the beginning. It's in the last three chapters of Revelation, or within the last three chapters of Revelation. It's in the middle, where Jesus turns water into wine. It's in the Mosaic law. It's in the prophets. It's in the wisdom literature. It's in the teachings of Jesus. It's in the New Testament letters. Let's look a little bit at each one. It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helpmate suitable for him. I remember the first time I heard Jim, brother Jim Garrett, sharing at my daughter Esther's wedding that in the creation story, seven times God says, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then all of a sudden he says, oops, something is not good. It's not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And then in verse 24, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Not a man, not just a woman, but his wife and the two shall become one flesh. To cleave means to stick together, to cling, to stay close, to join, to even to adhere as if your glue, and the fibers of the paper uh, meld with the chemicals in the glue and become one piece of paper, and thus giving, giving real uh, interesting take where Jesus said what God has joined together, let no man tear asunder. Webster's definition is to adhere firmly and closely or loyally and unwaveringly. So, marriage is at the beginning of the 1189 chapters of the Bible. It's also at the end, isn't it? Revelation 19.7, let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Have you ever considered that the great climax of the gospel narrative will culminate in a marriage. That is, Jesus Christ and His bride, the church, will be forever united at a great event called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. It's at the end of 1189 chapters in the Bible. Marriage is in the middle. It's at the inauguration of Jesus's ministry. And on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. The Book of Common Prayer says it this way, I love how it's articulated here, the bond and covenant of marriage was established by God in creation, and our Lord Jesus Christ adorned this manner of life by his presence and first miracle at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Marriage is in the middle. It's in the beginning, the end, the middle, it's in the Old Testament Mosaic Law. When a man takes a new wife, he shall not go out with the army nor be charged with any duty. He shall be free at home one year and shall give happiness to his wife whom he has taken. That, that verse just makes me happy for women. You know, that God has you in, in his sight and he wants you to be happy. And uh, so it's in the beginning, it's in the end, it's in the middle, it's in the Mosaic Law. It's in the prophets, the book of Hosea, Isaiah, and so on. Here's a passage from Isaiah regarding Israel. For as a young man marries a virgin, and as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. From Proverbs in the wisdom literature, rejoice in the wife of your youth as a loving hind and a graceful doe. Be exhilarated always with her love. And in the teachings of Jesus They are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man tear apart. I want to linger on this slide for a moment. Um, This is really kind of the end, almost the end of the message. I want you to, well, first of all, Ephesians, it's in the New Testament letters. Husbands, love your wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. This mystery is great. I was um, up at my dad's cabin with Laura and Esther and Brian, and we were talking about this fact that marriage is throughout throughout the Bible. And my son-in-law Brian said, he said, yeah, you know, it is, marriage is a grace gift of God. And somehow just that expression of what marriage is uh, blessed me. Marriage is a grace gift from God. The wonder of marriage pervades the scriptures, as we've seen in just these last few minutes and the wonder of marriage is intertwined with the gospel. So what I want to end with is that biblical marriage, righteous marriage, is a divine institution. Conceived in the heart of God for the benefit and joy of all mankind and to display His glory For this reason, it will remain strong and vital. We need not fear its demise or be surprised at its resilience and durability or these new research findings. Um, Let me just ask you to think about the fact what, what biblical marriage, though it's been beleaguered, though it's been attacked, let me just list some of the Enemies that it has endured and stood strong in the face of. For centuries, uh, polygamy has been a threat to biblical marriage. In the 60s and 70s, we had the free love movement. Uh, The sexual revolution came next. The feminist movement. And now, pornography, infidelity, rising cohabitation, and the new kid on the block Same-sex marriage. You know, somehow I have great hope uh, this morning when you look at this data and you hold marriage in honor. You see how it is held in honor in the scriptures, that it is a divine gift from the heart of God. Um, I found myself being overwhelmed with a sense we don't need to worry about biblical marriage. I went online kind of on a whim to see uh, what I could find out about how many people still desire to be married. And I found very quickly a Gallup poll from 2013, just June of last year, that said this, 95% of our American population is either currently or was previously married or want to get married. Only 5% of our population have never been married and don't want to get married. Isn't that amazing? The hunger for this thing that God has given us is still there. It's still there. It's from his heart. And I want to, as a community, hold this precious grace gift of marriage in honor with you. Amen. Amen. Um, just, a, just a quick, I was talking with Diane Shepard in the kitchen. She said, you better have some application points. So uh, um, anyway, I think this new research can help us separate and expose fact from fiction. Dr. Scott Stanley says that science is the currency of our culture. It's what our culture listens to. And when we can, when we can talk science and scripture, we become especially powerful missionaries to our culture. Um, I think that some of this research can be very helpful to us and also, but even more so, our knowledge of the scripture about marriage being held in honor. We can promote a biblical view of marriage in a declining culture, can't we? And I wonder here if we are personally ready to take a stand for biblical marriage. Have you have you made that decision in your heart that I'm 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 if asked or even if not asked, I'm going to take a stand for biblical marriage in my culture? If you'd like to be able to argue from a public policy standpoint as well as a religious standpoint, um, Bill has made me aware of a young man, Ryan T. Anderson with the Heritage Foundation. Uh, You can Google his name, Ryan T. Anderson with the Heritage Foundation. He argues very eloquently from a public policy perspective why we need to continue to hold marriage as being between a man and a woman. Number three is we certainly can inspire younger generations with this new information about marriage and the beauty of marriage within the scriptures, can't we? Um, As I referenced Nate before, our young people have this 50% number deeply ingrained in their minds, and it's just inaccurate. Fourth, whether single or married, let's stand with and fight for the marriages around us. I'm thinking of Linda Steed, who when my kids were little, she'd come and take them away and and give Laura and me some time together. And what a friend she has been to us over the years, supporting our marriage and loving us. I also think of Bill one day. Um, I was annoyed with Laura about something and telling Bill about it. And, and he was encouraging me, and in just kind of an offhanded way, he said, Jim, you have, a pa- you have a wife who passionately loves you. And then he went on to talk about other things. But that, that line just kind of was like Men and Skin Bracer, you know, the old commercial, just, whoosh. yeah, I needed that. I have a wife who passionately loves me. What am I complaining about, you know? And uh, so I really think I will remember that till the day I die. Uh, how the Lord can use uh, something we say to encourage each other. And then finally, let your marriage match your mission. Let's, let's do the very best we can if we're married to let our marriages uh, reflect and glorify the Lord. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for um, just your love and your grace and a place where we can talk about um, these things, where we can try to discern the truth, Lord, and uh, in our crazy mixed-up culture, help us, Lord, to assimilate this research and also the wonder of marriage from the scriptures and as Hebrews 13, 4 exhorts us to hold marriage in honor among all. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Make us ambassadors, Lord, for your kingdom and for your righteousness. In Jesus' name, we ask it. Amen.